Lord, what a joy it is to know you as our Heavenly Father. What a joy it is to be a part of the army of God as you empower us to go out and live for your glory and in the power of your might. Lord, this morning as we open your word, we ask that you would accomplish what you desire from these words to accomplish in our hearts. Lord, build us up in the faith. Equip us for the task of living for you this week, for living for you in the midst of fellowship with one another, in the midst of a world that is lost and dying and so desperately in need of this great gospel. So use this time now to challenge us and to make us more like you, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Who do you consider a role model? Who do you seek to imitate in life? This question that we consider this morning is in some sense a bit unique to our day and to our context. If we were to ask this question to someone in the ancient biblical world, we would probably get a very different answer. Why was Jesus a carpenter? Why was Peter and Andrew or James and John fishermen? The answer is simple. They followed in their father's footsteps. In the ancient context, children grew up to carry on their father's trade. They would observe him in his work. At a certain point, they would grow old enough to begin working alongside their father in an apprentice-type role. And eventually, there would be a passing of the baton as the child, now grown up as an adult, having mastered the skills through those years of patient uh, serving alongside their father, would eventually take over his practice. There were certainly influences outside of the home that would influence a child's character and virtue, but the family had a large influence on the child, and the father was someone to imitate in life. Our day is a very different day. As our graduates finish high school and begin focusing on training and eventually hopes of getting their, job, their first job in life, there is uh, no assumption that they're going to follow in their parents' footsteps. And beyond this, in the midst of our postmodern celebrity culture, the influence of a family has been greatly dwarfed by competing voices from people such as professional athletes or movie stars or other celebrities that are telling us what we should buy, what diet we should try, and what we should think about on social issues. They model for us what they think a good and happy life looks like, and the world is watching. We have schools today that push agendas in their pursuit to educate the whole child, and they're fully willing to contradict a child's family's beliefs in order to be on what they would call the right side of history. 
And in the midst of this overwhelming onslaught of messages, who are we to believe? Who is a role model worth following? Who is someone we should seek to imitate in life? Well, standing as a contrast to our culture and its worldly, sinful, rebellious pursuits is the church of Jesus Christ. We gather together to say that living for our risen Savior is what really matters. Whether you're a child still living in your parents' house or someone who has advanced well in your ages in life, whether you're someone who's relatively new to the faith or someone who has demonstrated maturity through years of serving Christ. In this pursuit, following the examples of those that model Christ-like sacrifice and faithfulness is of utmost importance. In our text this morning, the Apostle Paul is speaking to a fledgling church in the city of Philippi. This is a church that he established in the midst of trials and persecutions. It's a church that he has a very close relationship with, one that is expressed in deep affection for one another and is demonstrated through a partnership in the gospel. That partnership is partially demonstrated through the Philippians' generosity in their support of the Apostle Paul and his ministry journeys, as they have supported him on uh, more than one occasion financially. And now Paul is in prison in Rome. He's not in prison in 2020 American prison, where the state will provide his every need. But he's in Rome in ancient biblical times. And if he wants food, if he wants clothing, if he wants his basic needs to be met, if he wants to survive, his family, his friends must come to his aid and supply his needs. And here, once again, the Philippians do indeed come to his aid as they send gifts to Paul at the hands of Epaphroditus. And so Paul writes a letter to the Philippians and expresses his deep gratitude for their partnership in the gospel and their support of him, even in the midst of his trials. He talks to them about his own affairs, how he is doing in prison. And he spends some time considering the Philippians' situation and exhorts them as a church to unity and to faithfulness to God. And then we come to chapter 2, verses 19 through 30, the passage we will look at this morning. And in some sense, this passage is a very mundane passage as Paul details future travel plans for two men, Timothy and Epaphroditus, in their journeys to Philippi. It might be easy for us to read this passage and just kind of skip over it as something that doesn't contain the real meat or the real application that we're looking for in life. But that would be a mistake. It is important that we consider this passage this morning Because Paul here, building on this passage, will eventually say in Philippians 3.17, Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. So as Paul in this passage commends these two men to the Philippians as examples of faithfulness, So we as Christians today should look to examples of godliness among us and seek to imitate them in living for Christ. 
As we consider this passage this morning, we will consider both of these men that he is commending before them, Timothy and Epaphroditus. We begin with Timothy in verse 19. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who is genuinely concerned for your welfare, for they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a father, as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it goes with me, and I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. First of all, it's important for us to understand that Timothy is someone who knew the Philippians, and the Philippians knew him. Timothy was with Paul when he established the church in Philippi, and as Paul continued in his journeys, he eventually came back and made visits to the Philippians, and Timothy was with him in those journeys. We read in verse 19 that the plan is to send Timothy to Philippi, not to stay there indefinitely, but to return back to Paul and to bring news of the Philippians to him. And as we see in verse 23, Timothy will come to provide the Philippians with an update on Paul's situation as well. But why Timothy? Well, we can see from this passage that Timothy is a model of Christ-like behavior. We read in verse 24, I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. The, the literal Greek here is, I have no one like soul or like-minded. Paul previously in chapter 2 encourages the Philippians to be of one mind and to have that mind be that of Jesus Christ. And so Paul here declares that Timothy is one-minded with him, that the two of them share their concern for the Philippians. In verse 21, we continue and see, for they seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. While there are others who are focused on themselves and their own affairs, Timothy is not like that. He is not focused on himself, but he's focused on the interests of Christ. Now, we're not really sure who exactly Paul is referring to here in this verse, but we can see from the text here that there are people out there, even those who profess faith in Christ, whose primary interest is themselves and their own needs. They don't seek to honor Christ as most important in their life. Now, this is not necessarily suggesting that Paul has surrounded himself with a bunch of unfaithful people and that Timothy is the only God-honoring person among them that he can send. We know from the rest of the New Testament that Paul had other faithful men with him, such as the gospel writer of Luke or Titus or Silas. But in this moment, Timothy is the obvious choice to send to Philippi. And the reason why is because Timothy models Christ-likeness. The way Paul describes Timothy in these verses echoes back to the earlier part of this chapter in Philippians 2, verses 4 and 5, where Paul exhorts them to look, let each of you look not to your own interests, but to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. 
Timothy has the mind of Christ that Paul desires the Philippians to have. We read in verse 22 then, For you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served with me in the gospel. Timothy is not new to the scene in Philippi. He has a relationship with the Philippians, and he has been tested through years of faithful ministry with Paul. And here we see that illustration of the ancient context of a father and son working together. The son looking to his father and seeking to imitate him and and, and to labor in his endeavors. And so as a son would look up to his father and seek to work alongside him in his father's endeavors, so Timothy has faithfully served alongside Paul. And so in verses 23 and 24, Paul writes, because of his proven worth, he plans to then send Timothy to Philippi eventually, as soon as things kind of settle down with Paul and they figure out what's going on with him there. And then eventually, Paul hopes, Lord willing, to go and visit the Philippians himself soon. So there's this plan to send Timothy to Philippi eventually, but we see in verse 25 that there is also plans to send Epaphroditus immediately. We read in verse 25, I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but also on me, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice in seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy, and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. So again, Epaphroditus is a member of the Philippian church. And as we've already mentioned, upon hearing of Paul's imprisonment, the Philippians have once again sent a gift to Paul at the hands of Epaphroditus. But along the journey from Philippi to Rome, Epaphroditus gets sick, really sick. Yet in the midst of his illness and the the trials that it brings, he continues to journey in faithfulness to deliver this vital gift to Paul. And he arrives in in Rome and delivers this gift. But the journey and the illness that he is suffering has taken its toll. And Epaphroditus nearly dies on this trip. But God graciously spares him. Now again, as we think about this idea that God graciously spares Epaphroditus and heals him, let's not think of modern medicine and modern healthcare in this situation. For again, the, the ancient world was very different from our modern day context. Epaphroditus did not have at his disposal hospitals, emergency rooms, urgent cares, minute clinics, you name it, to go to and have his medical needs attended to, especially as he journeyed along the route from Philippi to Rome. And people in this day and age who became so severely ill, even to the brink of death, 
they almost never recovered. So Paul here isn't just sending up a flippant, thanks God for healing him, even though, you know, the doctors and the medicine did most of the work. No, Paul is recognizing here that in Epaphroditus' situation, God has specifically intervened and he has healed him. Now, the Philippians apparently are aware of the fact that Epaphroditus was ill. Maybe possibly someone from the team that traveled with Epaphroditus maybe returned back to give them an update as to uh, his illness. But they did not know the result of the trip and even the status of Epaphroditus. And so now that Epaphroditus is better and the gift has been delivered, Paul thinks it's best to send Epaphroditus back to Philippi for two reasons. To relieve both the Philippians and Epaphroditus of their anxiety about the situation and to send a more immediate update as to how things are going with Paul. And so Paul, in this letter, this letter that is being carried from Rome to the Philippians by the hand of Epaphroditus, commends Epaphroditus to the Philippians as a committed servant of God. Now we might ask the question, why would Paul spend so much time here commending Epaphroditus if the Philippians already knew him as a member of their church and already knew of his worth? Well, again, we're not entirely sure of why. Possibly the Philippians are discouraged at the fact that Epaphroditus' ministry to Paul wasn't what they had planned. Or perhaps they're simply just anxious about all the details of his journey. But regardless of its reason, Paul reminds, the Epaphro- that, uh, reminds us of Epaphroditus' Christ-likeness. So looking here at verse 25, we first see that Paul refers to Epaphroditus using five titles. He refers to him as a brother. Epaphroditus knows the Lord. He is a part of God's family and thus shares a spiritual connection with Paul and the church at Philippi. He is indeed a brother in Christ. He is a fellow worker. Paul is extremely thankful for the partnership in the gospel that the church in Philippi has with him in his ministry. And Epaphroditus is a faithful worker in that partnership. Paul refers to him as a fellow soldier. A soldier is someone who just shares in the work, but he also shares in the danger. And Epaphroditus has proven his willingness to risk hardship in order to come alongside Paul and serve in the gospel ministry. And Paul finally refers to Epaphroditus as the Philippians' messenger and minister to his needs. Literally, the Greek here would, would be their sent one, uh, which is the same Greek uh, that, where we get the word apostle. So Paul here is saying, Epaphroditus is your sent one. He has been commissioned by you to minister and to serve, to serve my needs. And he has done so faithfully. And so now he is sending him back to the Philippians. In verse 26, we read, For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. 
And again, here we see, much as Paul had a deep, earnest longing and affection for the Philippians, so Epaphroditus did as well, and was greatly grieved to hear of the Philippians' concern and consternation about his illness. And as we see in verse 27, indeed, the concerns the Philippians had for Epaphroditus were, were, not, were not without merit. He truly was sick and even came to the point of death in his ministry to Paul. And this is important for us to consider this morning because in this Epaphroditus mirrors Christ who was obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Epaphroditus models Christ's love and commitment to God's purposes in his ministry, in his unrelenting labors to serve Paul. He was willing to be obedient to Christ's call in his life, even to the point of death. In verse 28, we read, I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice in seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. Having no instant or even relatively quick means of communication in that day, the Philippians would no doubt anxious about the situation, about Epaphroditus and his life, as well as the situation with Paul and his, and his imprisonment in Rome. And so thus the news about Paul and his situation in, in prison and, and Epaphroditus' uh, ministry, it couldn't wait for a later date to go by the hand of Timothy. It needed to be sent now that they might rejoice in what God has done. And so in verses 29 and 30, we see that Paul commends Epaphroditus to the Philippians and encourages them to receive him with joy and to honor people like him because he is an example of faithfulness that should be commended and honored because he risked his life to serve Christ. And in the midst of that ministry, Epaphroditus' concern was not for himself, but was for Paul and for the Philippians. And in his risk, he ultimately was serving the Philippians as he presented an offering from them to God through their partnership with Paul. So as we consider Timothy, we consider Epaphroditus this morning, we see that Paul commends these two men to the Philippians as examples of godliness. And we as Christians today should look to examples of godliness among us as those who imitate, as those we should imitate in living for Christ. Now we could certainly consider Timothy and Paul in our own lives. But the question I want to ask ourselves this morning is who are you following? As children of God and members of Christ's body, it is what is most important in our life isn't ultimately the, uh, the occupation that we have or even how commendable our life can be in secular pursuits. No, what is most important in our life is our labor for the risen Savior. In the eyes of our Heavenly Father, what is most commendable, what the most, the most commendable vocation in life is to be a faithful to Christ's church and to be, faith, be a faithful witness of the gospel to this world is something that we have to get right. And again, as we think about Philippians 3.17, we are to keep our eyes on those who provide us a godly example.
So as Eden Baptists, as we consider who are we following, first of all, we could certainly look to texts of Scripture like this and say, I want to follow Timothy. I want to follow, follow Epaphroditus. These are examples of godliness that I should follow, and it's good and right for us to do that. But it's important for us to understand that for the Philippians, Timothy and Epaphroditus were people that they knew, that they've seen, that they've met, that they got to interact with. They got to see their faithfulness and follow their example and so I think the application for us today as well is to look at people from within the body of Christ and ask the question, who among us serves Christ's church sacrificially and faithfully? And I am thankful as I look at Eden Baptist Church, I see men that I can follow after that I see women, that my wife and my children, my daughters, can look to them and say, that's what living for Christ looks like. I am so thankful for the examples of men and women in this church who are following after God. But as we think about that, that calling in our lives to seek to follow godly examples, I want us just to spend a few minutes and maybe talk to a few of us in this room. First, I want to talk to you kids out there, young kids, maybe teenagers, those of you still living in your parents' homes. There's no doubt as you live this life, you're going to experience an onslaught of messages from various people about what living a good life looks like. And it can be really confusing sometimes as to what is the right answer. But I would encourage you to look to the example of godly parents in your life, to look to the example of godly men and women in this church who are living for God in their lives. These are the people you should be looking to and seeking to follow in their example. I understand that for some of you, you might say, yeah, well, my parents are really old. <laughs> These people at church, they're really old and they don't really understand what it means to grow up in times like these. Well, I will tell you this. They may not understand the, the issues of, of childhood in 2020, but they know what's most important in life, what's most important for your life and what's most important in their life. And that is living for God. And so I'd encourage you to follow their example. Maybe you're here this morning and you're a relatively new uh, person of faith. You've recently come to Christ and you're asking this question, what does living, what, is, what does a Christian life look like? And there's no doubt if you were to look out into Christendom in the world today, there's many people who put themselves forward as models of, Christ, of, of the Christian life. I remember once interacting with someone who was relatively new to the faith, and this person wanted to just, he wanted to get a hold of some books from Christian authors who would help him learn what it means to live as a Christian. And one day we were interacting, he said, you know, I, I heard about this author, uh, Joel Osteen. What do you think about him? And I was like, no, do not read Joel Osteen. He is not someone who is living for Christ. Do not look to him as an example. There are certainly celebrities within Christendom that would love for you to follow them. 
And let me first say that there are good Christian authors out there that you should read their books and they would be encouraging to your faith. But I think the example we have from this passage here is to look right here in this assembly for examples. Who are the people that you know that are living godly lives? Get to know them better. Help them get to know you better. Ask questions and seek to follow their example. For those of us who are a father or a mother raising children in the home, I think we all understand that raising the next generation can be a very difficult task at times. As we seek to juggle all of life and seeking to show a love for God and and, and wanting to to show a, a willingness to sacrifice for ministry, There may be even times in your life where you ask the question, am am I sacrificing for ministry here or or am I just neglecting my family? There are hard questions that we ask as we seek to parent our children and live for faith as parents of young children today. And again, there are books out there that uh, will be helpful to you as you would read them and and be encouraged by by those who have thought through these things. But there are also couples in this church who have raised their children in faithfulness to God, and they are examples to you. And so again, I would ask that you would interact with those couples, get to know them, ask questions, maybe share with them some of your struggles and difficulties, and seek their advice and follow their examples. For those of you who are maybe retired, uh, for our grandparents in the room, Maybe your days of raising kids are are done. Maybe your days of even earning a living are done. But your days of serving Christ are not. There is certainly a temptation in the retirement years to retire from life and to slowly fade away from the ministry of the church. Please do not do that. Certainly, As we grow older and our strength begins to wane, the ministry that we have in the church will indeed look different. But I encourage you to look around and see the examples of older individuals who are seeking to honor Christ to the very end and to follow their example. There's one example that comes to mind for me here in our church uh, is that of Chuck Hastings. Chuck, in his later years, had cancer throughout his body, and he was not one who was able to come to a church work day. He was not able to engage in any labor of ministry projects of any sort. But Chuck knew the seriousness of prayer. And so, while he couldn't maybe physically go and do something, he could pray for the individuals of this church, for those in his family, for those that he knew And he was faithful in that ministry and in that service to the church and to us, even to the end. For those of us who are church leaders, for elders and deacons among us, there are examples, even right here in our our city, of dynamic church leaders who draw large crowds with their spunk and their personality and their people skills but they do not live lives that model Christ-likeness. I am so thankful that that's not the case here at Eden, that we have leaders in this church that I can look to as an example for my life. 
And so I would encourage our elders to not, uh, to not follow after these, these false qualifications for leadership, but that they, they would keep their eyes on men who are modeling Christ to their congregations. And that as our leaders do that, we would then seek also to follow their examples. As the writer of Hebrews writes in verse 13, or chapter 13, verse 7, Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. So I'd encourage our church leaders to continue to strive for faithfulness, looking to examples of faithfulness in, in leadership and that we as a church should continue to commend leaders who do that. So as we think then of what, uh, who's someone we should be looking to follow then, what does that person look like? I, I pray and trust that it is someone who has a mind like that of Christ Jesus, who is humbly looking to others' interests and not their own. Someone who has proven in their life that they are dedicated to the glory and the purposes of Christ and not for their own personal gain. And when you see these kinds of people in your life, follow them. Thank God for them and strive to labor alongside them. So we ask the question, are you worth, or is, is, are you, who are you following? But I think the second question we can ask from this context is, are you worth following? If you were with Paul, and he needed to send someone, could he send you? Do you have genuine interest for others? Do you have a mind that isn't fixed on yourself, but is on, fixed on the interest of others and on that of Christ? Have you labored sacrificially and diligently for the Lord so that others could look at you and say, that person has proven worth? We might be tempted in this situation to ask the hypothetical question, well, if, if I were in Epaphroditus' shoes, would I risk my life to serve the Lord like he did? Well, we're not in Epaphroditus' shoes. In our current situation here in America, we aren't given that choice. And speculating what we might do if that day ever comes in our life isn't necessarily a fruitful exercise. As Elizabeth Elliot notes in the book Our Women Are Reading for Their Summer Gathering, grace is not given for imaginary situations, but for real ones. God gives us our daily bread. So let us not consider this in an imaginary sense. We aren't with Paul. We're here at Eden Baptist Church, and there are ministry needs here, and there are people who need discipling here. Are you ready to step in and serve? Are you living a life that prefers others and is willingly sacrificing for the good of Christ and his ministry? Are you investing in relationships willingly uh, with sanctifying purposes in mind? Do you meet with people with this idea of seeking to sanctify one another in, in the midst of that? Are you willing to serve and give of your time to, to be maybe a Bible class teacher or a kids club worker or a VBS worker or uh, maybe even take off vacation time to go on a ministry trip or to just engage in various work projects that God could use to honor Christ? As you think about your resources and your money, 
Are you giving to God's work through the church? Are you faithful in your sacrifice of giving to him? Are you willing even to maybe at times give above and beyond what you normally would give as God provides unique uh, opportunities for ministry, such as paying down the debt so that we as a church could free up dollars for future ministry? Or to build a church building for a body of Christ in India? Or name the next ministry opportunity that God is going to land at our feet and ask us if we'll be faithful in? Are you willing to give to these things? Are you willing even to give to the point that it hurts just a little bit, but you do so gladly to serve Christ with joy? Are you a man or a woman of prayer who give time in your day to praying for fellow church members and missionaries and and unbelieving people that you know? And as we consider this, this, this question of are you worth following, particularly we need to consider this in light of our families, our parents, grandparents. While the world seeks to strip us of influence in the family, we must model Christ's likeness to our children. May they see that the most important thing in your family is Christ's. May they see that in how you relate to them. May they see that in how you utilize your time and your energy and your resources. So Paul has given us these two men, Timothy and Epaphroditus, as as examples of godliness. But if you are hearing this message today and say, you know, I just need to be a better person like Timothy or Epaphroditus, you will have completely missed the point of this message. Because this isn't ultimately about Timothy or Epaphroditus. It's about Jesus Christ. These men served as they did because they knew Jesus as their Savior and their King. Later in this letter, Paul states that he considers all in life to be rubbish compared to knowing Christ. He strives with all of his might to know him and the power of his resurrection. This relationship with God... The power of the Spirit in their lives and the love of their Savior is what motivates everyone involved in this situation to serve as they did. And so before we can even ask the question in our own lives of how will I apply this message, we first have to ask the question, do I know Jesus as my Lord and Savior? Have you been forgiven of your sins? Do you know God as Father? Are you a son of God who is looking to the Father and desiring to follow in his example? Or are you a rebel that will one day be crushed under the weight of your own sin? And if that's you today, if you're still that rebel, if you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I would encourage you to cry out to him in forgiveness to turn from your sin and find in the, in the sacrificial death and resurrection of Jesus Christ life as you call him your Lord and Savior. If you have questions about that, would like to know more about what it means to know God as your Lord and Savior, we would love to talk with you about that this morning. But if you are here this morning and you do know God as your Father, then as Paul has mentioned in this letter, consider the example of his son, Jesus Christ, who is the ultimate son who followed the the example of his father. 
Consider people like Timothy and Epaphroditus and, and even Paul who were seeking to follow Christ's example. And more close to home, consider those around you. Who do you look to as a role model? Who is modeling for you a life surrendered to God? Follow after those people. God has called you and has called me to follow Christ and the example of those that are devoted to him. And when we obey that call, then by God's grace, he may use you, he may use me as an example of Christ to our fellow brothers and sisters in the faith. And he will use us as an example to a lost and dying world who so desperately need him. May we be faithful to this call. Let's pray. Lord, we are not able to do these things in our own strength. Even as Paul and, and Timothy and, and, and Silas or, and, and Epaphroditus were not able to do these things in their own strength, we ask that you would work in our hearts and help us to be faithful to this calling. Lord, we thank you for examples of godliness that you have given us, even here in our church. Lord, may we continue to grow in our faithfulness to you And may we stir one another up to faithfulness in this regard. We ask this in your name. Amen.